Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning, John chapter 12 is where we're going to be. John chapter 12, we're going to finish uh, that chapter today. If you need a Bible that you can put in your lap, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. If you are a user of the Bible app, feel free to open up the app and find our live events and track along with the scriptures, sermon notes and stuff. We are working our way through John. And um, some of you have had this happen before where you've been driving and that little thing comes on that you're like, I'm not sure what this means. And so thankfully, all of the car parts places around here, they got the little decoder ring, right? And so you pull up to O'Reilly's or pick your favorite, and you walk in, you're like, hey, man, can you pull a code for me? And they come out, plug in, look at the code. They're like, hey, listen, uh, and you know in that moment, I mean, it's, you know, PA4367. You don't know what that means, but they go look it up, and you know in that moment, like right then, it's either... Hey, there's a sensor going bad. Just drive it. Don't stress it until, you know, it stays on the whole time. Or, hey, your engine's about to fall out. I mean, you really got one of two options there, right? Or some of you, you know, again, you, you go into the minute clinic or, uh, you know, pick your favorite place that you go to get some medical um, help and you show up and you're like, hi, you know, kind of my shoulder hurts. And they're like, well, it could be this or that. And so it could be that you're 50 years old and you threw the football yesterday and you shouldn't do that anymore and take some Advil after the fact. Be sure and stretch beforehand. Or it could be, well, your arm's about to fall off. So that's bad, right? Some of you know what this feels like. It, it's that critical moment right there, though, like that moment where the, the, the word is a, a diagnosis. You figure out what's going on with your car. There's an O2 sensor or this is really bad. You, you figure out what's going on with your shoulder. Well, no big deal. A couple Advil or please go see an orthopedic surgeon. I mean, like one of those two. It's that point right there, though. That diagnostic point, that diagnosis, where where you figure out, I now know something that I did not know before. I was terrified going in as to what I might learn, but now I know something that I did not know before. This is where we are in the text. Because what Jesus is going to do today in these 14 verses, as we've kind of gathered them together in this particular uh, couple of sets of stories here, he is going to diagnose our unbelief. Not, not our belief, but our unbelief. And so if some of you came looking forward to a sermon about not believing, this is it right here. Like you, you come to the right place. And I say that because I just recognize that some of us step into a situation like this where maybe there is no belief at all. Like we're just like, no thanks, man. I'm here because she drug me here. He drug me here. They said I had to come, whatever it may be. Some of you, though, are stepping in and you're like, man, I'm struggling in this particular area of my faith. It's not the whole house that needs renovation, but I got a closet or two that probably needs some work. Another way to put this. uh, Four or five weeks ago, it, it, it got like actually really cold around here. We had to drip faucets, you know, you remember this? Like you had to cover the stuff outside and everybody, you know, because we're in South Texas, we're like, God, we hate this. In August, though, it's a whole different story. Like, oh man, if we could just get a freeze, you know, and, but that's, a, that's we, we did all those things. It, it would be like, though, if, if you wanted to, you know, you had all that cold stamp, you had a bucket of water and you stuck it outside in that cold water and you uh, in that cold weather and you wanted to make sure that that bucket did not freeze well every so often you have to walk outside and like bang it around a little bit move the stuff around so that it doesn't congeal some of you that's what your heart feels like you're like I, 
I know, like there's some general stuff that's okay, but there are some parts that I need to kind of move around or get like break up a little bit because otherwise the, the temperature of that particular section of my life will freeze. And I don't want my heart to freeze. And so if you, if you come in with a kind of uh, um, pushback that says, man, I, 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 just, I don't have anything for any of this. Or if you come in and you're like, my life's okay, but this one particular, I just know, I just know that it's really locking them. It's really coming down. It's really getting cold. Jesus is going to help us today. He does provide uh, a remedy. So let's start here. Chapter 12, John chapter 12. We're going to start at the end of verse 36. Verse 37 is really where we'll pick up. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. John had written the whole gospel so that they would believe, but they still did not believe. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 38. Uh, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For Isaiah said, he's blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So I just want to give you two statements about the heart today that will help us diagnose our unbelief. Jesus does this. Number one, unbelief is a heart problem. It's a heart problem. You've got heart issues. Some people think that eyes and ears, well, if I could have just been there and seen what they saw, I would have believed. Eyes are not the problem. If I could have just heard Jesus actually give that particular sermon or that particular teaching, or if I could hear him say, blessed are the poor in spirit, man, I would believe. Ears are not the problem. Eyes and ears are just uh, conduits, if you will, to get the truth into the place where the truth resides, and that is our hearts. We have a heart problem. It's not eyes and ears. They are not the organs of faith. The heart is. It would be like asking my liver or my kidney or my bicep muscle or something to pump blood to the rest of my body. It is not designed to do that. Eyes and ears have certain designs, but it's not, excuse me, to actually believe. The heart is the place where faith resides. There is a knowledge here in this story. There is a knowledge, there is an exposure, and there is a sight. They had all of these, and none of them are the issue, and therefore they are without excuse. Look back at verse 37. Though he had done so many signs, they didn't believe. They didn't. And, and we've done, and now we're in chapter 12, we're turning the corner to move to the cross. In, in uh, the first 12 chapters, Jesus has done seven signs. He turned the water into wine. There's a new thing coming. Not, not the old stuff, the new stuff. Um, he cleansed the temple. Now, there are not going to be impediments between you and getting um, to God. Jesus is going to make a path for that to happen. He healed the nobleman's son. Not in the room, not like by touching him, but just by speaking a word. Jesus has authority to do healing wherever he wants to do it. He um, healed the guy who had been... Uh, uh, um, beside the pool of Bethsaida there um, for, for 38 years. Like he had been stuck in his ways and in his life. And Jesus says to him, take up your mat and walk. Go do it. Go do it. Showing that you don't have to live in the same cycles that you've always lived in. Um, he feeds um, 5,000 men and women and children on top of that. He, can, he has all sorts of authority and power and miraculous stuff to work to make sure that you have what you need. He encounters in John chapter 9, a man born blind. This is number 6. He encounters a man born blind. Who's, who, who, who messed up? Was it this man or his parents um, that he should be blind? Jesus is like, that's not how the world works, man. I, all I'm going to do is just flex on this 
so that God gets glory and he heals the man born blind. And oh, you got a guy who's been dead for four days? Probably stinks by now. I have say over death. Death does not have say over me. Seven signs. He's done all of these. And yet they still did not believe. Why? Because eyes and ears are not the organs of faith. They're just not. Um, if you uh, think, want to think more about this theologically, uh, the reformers from the 1500s had a particular way of approaching faith and trying to, do, trying to describe it. They talked about it as a three-legged stool. Um, everybody wanted to learn Latin when you came to church today, and so I, I really wanted to help you with that. Um, so uh, there are three kind of legs to the stool. Notitia. Um, that's the Latin word. That's, that's functionally kind of facts. These are the, like Jesus has died. He has risen. Jesus has come. He did miracles. These are the kind of ways um, that, that uh, pieces of truth, objective truth that filter into our lives and become part of the faith um, that, that gets birthed within us. Secondly, a census. That is, not only do we have an idea about something, Jesus is raised from the dead, but there is a kind of convictional turn of our emotions. Um, we, we have an attraction to that truth. It's not just, hey, here's an idea, and I don't really care. It's an idea, and now there is something that turns inside of me to move toward um, toward the truth of that. And lastly, fiducia, that is uh, a sense of, okay, now now I know this in my head. Now I kind of feel this, if you will, and there is a result that happens from this. So there is a, a life that is connected to that truth. It's not disconnected from the truth, it's connected. So notitia, a sense is fiducia for all you Latin people out there. For all you Aggies, it's facts and feelings and following. Come on, I, you knew I'd take a shot, right? Come on, Trevor, am I right? Okay make it simple for you. That's the idea. That, though, doesn't reside in your eyes and your ears. That resides in your heart. That doesn't happen apart from that particular environment, that environment in your heart. So Isaiah comes along and he says there in 38, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? They heard Jesus speak and it wasn't their ears. That was the problem. And to whom has the arm of the Lord, his actions, been revealed? It wasn't their eyes. They had seen his miracles. They had seen the signs. Therefore, they could not believe. Not because they hadn't seen it, but because they didn't want to. There was a moral incapability. Not a natural, not a natural um, incapability. So Isaiah... Uh, he keeps going there in, in verse 40. He is, uh, verse 39, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he's blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. What does God want? He wants to bring healing to this. This particular quotation from Isaiah is right after um, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he um, sees God, and he is high and exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple. And a seraphim comes and touches his lips. It's like, oh, finally, I'm clean before God. And the guy's like, man, I need somebody to go and speak on my behalf. Who's going to go? And Isaiah's like, count me in. I want to be the guy. He said, okay, go. They're not going to listen to you. They're not. They won't. It's not because he didn't want them to be healed. He did. I, I, I wish they would turn and I would heal them. His intent, his, if you will, purpose was to bring them to healing, but the effect was to bring a hardening upon them. So here's the question. Is God to blame for that? No, they had every opportunity. They had every opportunity. You do too. 
If your life, if you're doing that thing where you're like, I got nothing, man. I'm, 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 my unbelief is my unbelief and this is what it is. Or if you're like, hey, you know, I'm really struggling in this particular area, this particular section, this closet, if you will, of my life. I would love for somebody to do some renovation there, but man, I, I'm, I'm hurt. You have every opportunity to believe. Look, if you will, in uh, uh, verse 42, just the first phrase here. Here's the proof of that. Many of even the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. Like they, it, their heart never turned fully. They may have been a fan of who Jesus was and what he was doing, but they were not. They were not following. They were not committed to that. Something along the lines of, if you driving along and we've because of the weather we've had some great weather lately you also get some gorgeous sunsets and you you, you look outside and you're driving along and you're like oh god that is beautiful so you say to your kid or your spouse or whoever is next to you they're like oh that's that sunset is stunning and they're like oh yeah that's not faith y'all that's a glimpse that, that's not the kind of faith that says, Jesus, I am giving my full life to you in order that your full life can be inside of me. I, I want you to take over. That, this is not that. That's just a glimpse. This is exactly what happens. Some of the authorities believe, but psh, not really. Why? Why is that? But, well, because the heart, we not only have um, a heart problem, the heart problem specifically, the diagnosis is we have a disease, and that disease is we have other loves that reside in here. I'm picking this up a little bit from last week. We had that long quote from St. Augustine. Um, and basically, Augustine's, uh, uh, if you boil it down to a pithy statement, is good things make for bad gods. Um, what happens in us is that we get out of order in our loves, and we love some things that ought not be loved. Um, and then we misorder, like the, the, the uh, quality um, isn't what it's supposed to be. The levels aren't what it's supposed to be. So our, order, our loves are out of order, and we need a permeating, penetrating love of God to come into our lives, which the Holy Spirit is exactly prone to do. Um, and he pours out God's love. And that displaces and dislodges some of the things that are inside of us and then begins to reorder those loves. Here's our thing. Look at what it says. Nevertheless, many of even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. Now, if you're married in here and somebody walks up to you and says, hey, are you married? What do you do? Well, of course I'm married. You don't hem and haul. You say, no, look, yeah, I'm so happily for this many years, whatever it may be. Okay? This is what you do. This is exactly what they did not do. And so the, the nature and the value of the relationship wasn't there. They did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Do you see that? And here's the damning part. Verse 43, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. The heart is diseased and it's diseased by other loves. Loves that are out of order. Loves that are misprioritized. Now, what is the glory that comes from man? Well, I don't know that this is all of it, but this is a big portion of it, specifically in this story. There's a little equation that's going to pop up on the screen. I just want to talk you through it. It's something along the lines of security plus value plus purpose equals belonging. So security, I am safe here. In this particular case, 
there's a synagogue. And it's important for me to be a part of that. I am safe here. Secondly, value. I am cared about here. I have a, a, a sense of dignity here. Somebody notices me here. Value. And purpose. Hey, I have something to do here. I have a role to play here. There is something in me that, that um, says, hey, I, 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 this is what I should be doing. And all of that, when you bring those things together, when you squish those things together, that equals a sense of belonging. Now, here's the thing. Those all, all of those needs, all of them are perfectly legitimate. Does anybody need security? Yes, 100%. Does anybody have a sense that they need value, that they matter in some way to someone or in some moment? Absolutely. Does anybody want to live a wandering, purposeless life? No, nobody signs up for that. Like, excuse me, I just like to wander around in my purposelessness for the next 40 or 50 years. Nobody signs up for that. Everybody wants that. I have a, a, a place where I'm safe. Um, I, I have a place where I matter and I have a place, excuse me, um, where I have a role to play. And all of that creates this sense of belonging. Those are not the issues. The issues are um, when, when the danger is not in the need itself, but in meeting those needs apart from God. And in our particular cultural moment, those needs get met apart from God via stimulation. What do you mean by that? Well, we get really, really good at making sure that somebody, that we have a safe place or that we matter in a place or, or that we have a, a role to play. And that creates our sense of belonging. And it's two things. I just wrote a few down here. Um, we get really good at it. This is the dangerous part. Anybody ever heard of the phrase vague booking? This is when you get on social media and you say, oh, what a day. And that's all you say. And what are you hoping for? You got your line in the water with a big old honking bait on the end that somebody will jump on that thing and be like, oh no, what happened? Because that response to you means what? I am somehow mattering to someone in that moment. For some of us, it's not that. For some of us, it, we, we build our calendars around the sense that I have purpose and therefore my calendar must be very, very full. Yes, I would love to talk. Can we talk and walk at the same time? Because I've got to get from here to there because I'm a very, very, very busy person. And I, I got some stuff to do. There are things that, you know, are on my checklist, on my to-do list. This is the next, bing, oh, look, there it is, my next calendar event. For some, it's not that. For some, it's uh, when we're actually in conversation with someone, having a cup of coffee or sharing lunch or just standing by, just chit-chatting. Uh, somehow, some way, we make sure that the conversation turns to us. Well, uh, so and so, so and so, so, oh gosh, you know, you probably deserve my sympathy right now, but let me one-up you instead by telling my part of this story so that you can uh, feel not as good as you feel right now. I'm going to just go ahead and say that I'm a superior person to you in that moment. Or if you don't do it to where you turn it to yourself, you make sure that you turn it to your kids. In suburbia particularly, where that, that conversation happens and then you, you flip it so that they know that your kids are perfect and awesome and theirs are not. And they have a sense, you have a sense, I'm safe here because I'm not like you, haha. Or, or, you, you got a certain set of goals that you're in pursuit of. And because that is your sense of purpose in the world, the place 
that you draw you just God help anybody who gets in the way the danger is not in the need but in the meeting of those needs apart from God especially in our world our world via stimulation note here for they love the glory that comes from man. Man can only offer you so much security, so much value, and so much purpose. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Listen, uh, Psalm 8 says, God has crowned you with glory and honor. He, you're like, well, I'm supposed to give glory to God. That's right, but he also gives it to you. There is a weightiness to your life that you can walk around with that when you don't try to uh, meet these needs or have these needs met um, from people you know or don't know, people that you um, interact with or people you're just hoping will interact with you. When you turn to God and you say, God, listen, I mean, here's where I am. This is what's going on. I don't want to be out of order in my loves. I want to really just lock into you. And I want, and he bestows honor and glory on you. So right here, security. God can say to you, um, and, and does say to you in Jesus, you are safe with me. There is nothing in this life, come heaven or hell or, or uh, anything else in between, that is going, listen, that is going to separate you from me. You're safe. Do you have value? Do you matter? God looks at you and says, here's how much value you have. You can cast not some of your anxiety, not most of your anxiety, not the public face of your anxiety. You can cast all of your anxiety upon me. Why? Because I care for you. That's what he says. Is there a sense of purpose in this life? Yes. The weightiness of your life can be more than just a busy calendar or kids' events or goals that you're trying to accomplish. The weightiness of your life can consist in, I am about a kingdom that will last forever. So God, help me program this computer today like like I'm a part of a kingdom that will be here a thousand years from now. Help me engineer some stuff today. Help me teach today. Help me learn today. Help me do baseball today and everything else with a sense of purpose. I am a part of a kingdom that will last forever. You want to belong somewhere? That, that is what Jesus is inviting you to. And he's right there in front of them. He's right there standing and saying that too. The heart is diseased by other loves and God is inviting us to be purged of those and let those things get reordered. Again, one more time. The issue is not that they can't believe. They don't. They don't want to. They don't want to. Let's press ahead here. Look at verse 44. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. He's going to pick on the exact same thing a little bit later in John 14. Uh, Philip, one of his guys, rolls up like, Hey, man. Uh, you just show us the Father, it's enough. Jesus is like, you've missed the agenda, man. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what he's after here. And so the second part of this, unbelief is a heart problem. We have to register that it is going on in here. The second part is unbelief, the, the, the problem itself is rejection. This is the way that these other loves um, work inside of us to push God out of the way. Unbelief is rejection. And I just want to start with 
what he's saying here. Um, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me, whoever sees me, um, sees him who sent me. I'll just give you some words to think about. Um, the, the way that re- um, rejection works itself out goes like this. We are refusing the thing that you say that you want. What is a disordered heart with other loves? What does it look like? It looks like refusing the things that you say that you want, or in this particular case, the thing, you, oh, I want God. Jesus is standing right there, and he's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, the one who sees me sees the one who sent me. I'm your guy. Well, I didn't particularly like the thing that you said earlier. I'm still your guy. If I, I'd rather have another version of God, please. Can we, like, hit refresh on the page and see if something else will come up? That's how some of us live, and that's how some of us are in relationship with others. And, and, and their, their sense of rejection is just refusing the very thing that you want, that they say that they want. Jesus is right there. And for some of us, and let's bring it down to where you and I are, Jesus is right there. And here's what he's saying to you and to me. Hey, you know that, that little section of your life that we've been working on and trying to work on and figure out? And you just think to yourself, yeah, I really, really, really want to change. And Jesus is like, okay, let's get to work. And you're like, no, 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 no not like that. We can bring that to him, even that desire. Oh, Jesus, I want this. I really, really want this. But gosh, I'm terrified to let go of it. You don't have to to refuse the very thing that you say that you want. Secondly, um, we can reject the light. Um, and, uh, re- excuse me, rejection looks like rejecting light to stubbornly walk in darkness. Look at verse 46. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. He doesn't want you to remain in darkness. You do not have to reject the light to stubbornly walk in that darkness and to experience the pain that comes um, with it. So you've had this happen before. You're going out into your garage or uh, it's, it's the middle of the night and you know exactly where you left your cup on the counter. And so do you need to turn the lights on? No. You know where the couch is. You know where that stool is. You know where the counter is. You know where the cup is. You go in, it's dark. There's no problem at all. That's fine. You know exactly where you're headed. You are radar locked. The only problem is one of your kids left a Lego on the floor. That is something you were not anticipating. And so you stubbornly walk in the darkness and experience the pain thereof. And Jesus says to you and to me, I came as light and you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. There is a life with me, with following me. Yes, understanding things that are true about me. Facts. Yes, letting your, um, if you will, your soul kind of get lit up and turn towards these things. So feelings. And then, yes, your will inclined toward me and following me. We don't have to reject light in order, excuse me, um, to stubbornly walk in darkness. Unbelief is rejection. Thirdly, um, unbelief is rejection. That looks like relegating to advice the wisdom and the truth that you hear. Look at verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them. Hey, Jesus, thanks so much for letting me know about that. Uh, I'm going to put that on the shelf, think about it for a little bit, and I'll try to come back to you tomorrow. Hey, did you get my email? Because uh, a couple of days from now, I'll need a response. I mean, this is how we do this. I know, God, that you have spoken wisdom. I know that, God, that you have spoken truth. I know that you have given me the reality and the the, the, um, 
sense of what is actually happening in this moment or in this world. And yet, I take it as a advice. Eh, I can take it. I can leave it. Maybe I'll just put it up, put it in my pocket. Uh, yeah, let me have your card. I'll see if we can get back to you later. This is how we do that. Relegating to advice, the wisdom and truth you hear. You want to know what unbelief looks like. That's part of it. Lastly, at the end of verse 47, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. That is to rebuff the goodwill and the love that pursues us. Jesus is standing right there before them. In fact, look back up at verse 44, and Jesus cried out. He cried out. He didn't whisper. He yelled. It wasn't a secret thing. He really wanted to get their attention. Church family, it is not something that he's talking quietly about. He is raising his voice to get our attention to say, do not live in unbelief. Do not stubbornly walk in the darkness. Do not say, hey, this is just good advice for this moment. Do not um, shun and spurn the love and goodwill that I have for you. I didn't come to judge the world. You may think that all of this stuff is true about me, but listen, the real me came to save the world. I want to bring true life to you. And he raises his voice so that you would hear it. So they would get past your ears and get down into your heart. It's no wonder that he brings up judgment, though. Look at verse 48. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive me has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. What does he mean by that? Well, Jesus comes and he offers forgiveness. And there's two ways to take that. One is, oh, that's an incredible gift. The other is, who are you to say that I need forgiveness? Jesus comes and he offers freedom. You've been stuck at the pool of Bethesda there for 38 years, just living that kind of life. You're in that same cycle and you can't seem to break out of it. Jesus comes and says, hey, listen, there's a way for you to rise and take up your mat and walk. And you go, eh, I mean, this is not so bad. Or I'm not sure who I would be without it. Thanks. I'll just, I'm okay. There's two ways to take that. And in the last day, when you see him face to face, listen, he will say to you, listen, I have offered you forgiveness. I have offered you freedom and you have rejected it. You have rejected it. Unbelief is rejection. And just for clarity's sake, he's going to bring it up a notch here. Verse 49, for I have not spoken of my own authority. The father who sent me has himself given the commandment, what to say, what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I speak or I say as the Father has told me. He's saying, I'm not making this stuff up. This is what God the Father has spoken. So what do we do with that? Unbelief is a heart problem. Unbelief is rejection. What do we do with that? Is there a remedy? Yes. Yes, there is. Go something like this. You have a heart problem. You let the surgeon do his work. You don't like vote him in and be like, hey, you know, if you would only do like this much and not this much more. No, no, you let the surgeon do his work. He knows better than you. He can see things inside of you that you can't see for yourself. 
He knows how to make things go in ways that they should. He knows where the blockages are and where the problems are and where the stoppages are. And he knows the danger. He knows. And so let the surgeon do his work. How? By receiving what he says to be true. You receive it. You don't reject it. You receive it. And again, some of you are here and you're like, this whole thing, man. This is mom's idea. This is her idea. This is my kids drug me here because they're going to run Whatever. Some of you may be pushing back hard. And I just want you to know there is somebody who loves you dearly. And he is inviting you into the kind of life that you will not have apart from him. Some of you, though, you, you, you know that to be true. You've experienced that as reality. But again, you've got a section of your life. You've got a one vessel, if you will, that's kind of plugged up here. And you need the surgeon to step in and do his work. And maybe today that's just offering that particular section to go, Jesus, I need you to do your work here. I want to believe what you said is true. I want to receive it as true. So let's pray together. And then we'll uh, have a moment to respond. Father, as we said, it's not ears, although you've spoken. Uh, It's not eyes, although we've seen some stuff on the screen. It really is our heart. And so I pray that you would generate in us the kind of faith. We we would be receivers of what you've said and you would ignite in us faith. Faith to um, follow the things that need to be followed here. Faith to put down the things that need to be put down. Faith to um, embrace or to take up whatever needs to be embraced and taken up in this moment. I, I ask, Father, that these would be moments where we wrestle where we um, recognize even your work in our lives and we open handedly say oh God please don't stop until it's done We want to be receivers of what you said. So grant us that now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.